0: Good morning, and thank you so much for being here with us. I appreciate the invitation to be with you all today. I I was trying to think on my way down here when the last time I was here, I think it was a couple of years ago um, for a VBS, um, and then we've done a few meetings here in the past, so I'm always glad to be back with you and be able to spend um, some time with you as we study in the Word together. If you will, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and we're going to spend some time... um, all day today, and and I believe I'm scheduled to be back here in uh, about a month or so. We're going to stay in the book of Habakkuk with some lessons. A while ago, goodness, I don't know how long ago it was now, maybe a year ago, Adam was uh, visiting in Danville, um, and I happened to be preaching this series there, so if you don't like it, it's his fault. Uh, Don't blame the preacher. Uh, But Adam had mentioned when we were talking about scheduling some time that he thought this would be beneficial and I think specifically with the things going on the idea here of finding calm in the chaos the idea here really is from the book of Habakkuk how do we find a place with all of the craziness going on around us where we have calm where we have joy and the joy that surpasses all understanding and the peace that surpasses understanding How can we have joy and calm and peace when the world around us is crazy? How do we get our mind around the fact that bad things happen to good people? And there are bad people that seem to prosper. And though, no matter what we do in our faith and our allegiance and our strength and our relationship with God, that as strong as our faith can be, we can still have terrible things happen to us. How do we make that make sense? Because from time to time, what we want to do is we either cry out to God and say, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Or we go the other way and say, God, it's your fault. It's your fault that all these bad things are happening. And it's your fault that life is a disaster. And it's your fault that the nation's crumbling around us. And it's your fault that there's all these bad things happening. And so when I think about that, and I think about where we are and how we try to find this calm in the midst of chaos, I find myself in Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah and Habakkuk prophesied at the end of the fall of Israel, prior to the Babylonian captivity. And Habakkuk, as he saw the decline of the nation of God's chosen people, Habakkuk watched them continue to spiral further and further and further away from God. That violence was paramount. That injustice and iniquity and wickedness just became so commonplace that nobody even noticed it anymore. And they got so far away from God. We think about Jeremiah who was his contemporary and Jeremiah spent his entire life begging and pleading with the people to turn. Jeremiah didn't have very good success either, pleading with them. He writes another book called Lamentations, or his lament over the state of Israel and how far they'd gotten away from God. And so both of these prophets were in a very precarious time. And we're going to spend some time studying through Habakkuk's both call and response from God, as well as some lessons we can learn. The first lesson... We're going to spend some time on today is what I call the faith paradox. And what that paradox is, is that we know we have promises from God. And God has told us from the very beginning that ultimately we are going to be reconciled. We are going to be reunited with him, that our sins can be forgiven, that we will win in the end. But the paradox of that faith is that doesn't mean things are going to be good right now. We sometimes in our lives believe that if we are faithful, if we do good, if we do right, that somehow we're insulated from bad things happening. But friends, if you've been around any at all, you know that's just not the truth. You know that no matter how good and how strong your faith is, terrible things can happen to you. Your company can close down. You can get fired. You can get laid off. Your country can disappoint you and do terrible things. We know that no matter how good and how strong our faith is, that is not a direct correlation to how good and easy life is. There are guys in pulpits like this all over the world today that are telling you that all you got to do is give your whole heart to Jesus and everything will be fine. And it'll all be health and wealth and all this other nonsense. And they're lying to you. They're lying to you because we can look, just like we studied a little bit in our Bible class here this morning, and we talked about Peter's life. Was Peter faithful? Was Peter attached to God? Did he get murdered at the end of his life? Absolutely. What about the Apostle Paul? Was he faithful? Was he on the path with Jesus to do a lot of good? What happened when he came to town? They threw rocks at him until he stopped moving, Right? He got chased out he had to sneak out overnight in baskets it doesn't mean that life is easy and good because we're faithful but how do we make our faith relatable enough that we can get through this paradox that bad things happen to good people and that no matter how faithful i am that doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy and life is always going to be good as a matter of fact life from time to time will absolutely be tragic so let's start reading here back at chapter one in the first few verses the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. <coughs> Excuse me. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the Righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. you ever feel like that? you ever feel the same way that Habakkuk does? That as you look out into society, as you look out into the country, as you look out into your community, do you ever feel like all these terrible things are happening and we don't know what to do about it? Or can we do anything about it? Or does God even care about it? Habakkuk calls and he fusses at God about what's going to happen. Now, we're going to get into some future lessons where God's response is, oh, I'm coming, and justice is coming, and things are going to happen that you're not going to believe and that you're going to be astounded by. We're going to talk about what God's going to do about that and what justice looks like. But, friends, the difficult thing that you and I have to remember is that none of us want justice. We don't want justice. We want mercy, we want grace, we want compassion. We don't want justice because there's nothing any of us can do for our sins, right? We are saved by grace through faith. That's the way Paul explains that in the book of Ephesians. That we are saved by grace through faith, but what I deserve because I have sinned against God, what I deserve is death, what I deserve is separation, what I deserve is to be cast out. That's what justice is. We don't want justice. We want mercy we want grace but from time to time when we have difficulties in life when the calamity when the chaos when the strife is all around us we start hollering for things like justice but we want justice for just the bad people not for us right Yet, god i need you to do something about all these awful people but let's not pay attention to the bad things that i'm doing over here because my bad's not as bad as their bad so therefore right that's the kind of mental goofy gymnastics we do Friends, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have struggles in our lives. And while some are worse and they're blatant and they have no allegiance to God, their time ultimately will come. But when that time comes, we have to understand that justice comes for all and it's swift and it's permanent. When justice comes, when that trump sounds on the last day, when Jesus comes back and it's the final judgment, that means it's over. That means all of our friends and family and loved ones that we've talked to about the gospel that still haven't made a decision about Jesus, that means their time is up. That means all those that Peter writes about, that God is not slow as some men count slackness, but is patient, wishing what? All men everywhere to repent, that means their time is up too. That means every fringe candidate that we love that hasn't made the decisions that they need to make in life, that means all of that is over. So when we cry for justice, when we cry, oh God, how long will you wait, we need to remember what we're asking for. And we need to remember that in the midst of all of this chaos, there's still time. For us to reach the lost. There's still time for us to reach those that we love. There's still time to fortify the kingdom. But once justice comes, once judgment comes, it's all over. This paradox. There is uh, an author, James Collins. I love this quote. James Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in this book, he interviewed a naval admiral. Admiral... um, the naval admiral here, um, Stockdale. And when he interviewed Stockdale, and Stockdale was, during the Vietnamese War, was a POW that spent multiple years in a POW camp that ultimately was freed and released. And when he interviewed Stockdale, and he asked Stockdale this question about his coping strategy, how'd you get through it? Because that's awful. You guys are living in just a terrible situation, and how did you have the strength and the fortitude to stay committed, to get out. How'd you get there? Because many didn't. So Stockdale, how'd you do it? Stockdale said this, and and he asked them specifically, what's the difference between those that made it, you and those that made it, with those that didn't? And this quote's very interesting. He said, that's easy. The ones that didn't make it were the optimists. They were the ones that said, we're going to be freed by Christmas, and Christmas came, and we weren't freed. Oh, and then it'll be Easter, and Easter came, and they weren't. And then Thanksgiving, and then next Christmas, and the next Easter. And eventually, they died of a broken heart, because the timetable that they had set for themselves, unrealistically, never happened. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, With a discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. I find that fascinating. Every time I, I read this story and every time I think about this quote, I find it absolutely fascinating. That what you and I have to do is understand we've already won. If you belong to Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've had your sins washed away, if you are cleansed and whole and belong to God we will win. But I don't know when that is. And it may get real, real ugly between now and then. It may get absolutely terrible here on earth between now and then. But I know in the end, God will make all of this right. But right now, it may not be. That we have to confront the brutal facts Of the reality that we live in without ever giving hope up for the eternal. That means we can't put our head in the sand and say, boys, it's all going to be fine. Because it may not be. We can't put our head in the sand and say, well, it'll just be a few more days or a few more weeks and it'll get better because it may not be. It may be years. I think about those here in Habakkuk that are going to get the answer that's coming. That the Babylonian Empire is going to rise up and they're going to come and they're going to wipe out Israel. Because that's what Israel deserves, right? Back in Deuteronomy, God promised them that if you follow me and if you're faithful, here's all the things I'm going to do for you. And we saw under Solomon, every promise to Abraham except for Jesus was accomplished. The land, the nation, all of those promises were accomplished and given under Solomon. So they did good. God gave them everything that they were promised. But remember the second half of Deuteronomy? If you leave me, if you chase the idols, if you do these things, then I will utterly wipe you out. So what's Habakkuk saying? Lord, we kind of left you. It's violence. And God says, yep, and it's time for punishment. And God is answering and doing exactly what he promised them to do, exactly what he told them to do. But if you're sitting here in Israel at the time, life's going to get real bad for a long time. Because outside of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who got promoted and ended up in leadership positions in Babylon, there were many that lived by the waters of Kabar as slaves. There were many that were left behind in the desolated fields of Israel that farmed whatever they could and sent it back to support Babylon. There were many that had an awful, miserable end to their lives. There were some that survived and survived the 70 years of captivity. And when Ezra and Nehemiah and those came back to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, you you all remember that from your Old Testament history? Remember there were those that, instead of celebrating, wept? because they remembered what Solomon's temple looked like and what they had rebuilt was just minuscule in its place? Do you think those people had it hard? Did God say you're only going to be in captivity for 70 years? Yeah. And did they get out of captivity and were they allowed to come back? Yeah, but was it ever the same? No. Ultimately, it was a very difficult trial. I don't know what's going to happen here when we think about the current religious and moral state of our country. God could right now be rising up somebody to come wipe us out and punish us for all of our indiscretions. It can happen. We could see tanks roll down through the center of Somerset at some point. Maybe. But does that mean that God is not faithful concerning his promises? No. Not at all. Does that mean that we're not going to be saved and redeemed in the end? No, not at all. We can't equate present day blessings and think that they're more valuable than those that are eternal. Because that's what we do, right? Life gets hard, life gets difficult, and it's, well, maybe this whole religion thing isn't for me. I'm good with the whole religion thing as long as I'm getting mine. Right, But don't ask me to get tough. Don't ask me to go through difficult things. Because there's not what I signed up for. You see, that's the faith paradox. Is that we can have absolute, unwavering faith in God. We can have a close, deep relationship with God. And life still be terrible. Physics. Friends, we got to stop equating our net worth with our blessings. We got to stop equating life being easy with faithfulness in God. Because we can be faithful to God. We can be saved. We can be redeemed. We can be spiritually pure and whole and not be in a good position financially as we were when we were sinners. I've known of, of people that, worked in various industries. Right? Whether it was alcohol industry, whether it was, you know, doing some accounting for for other less than pleasurable industries. That when they obeyed the gospel, realized they couldn't work in the same industry anymore. Had to get out, had to leave a good career, had to start over, had to do things that are different. Financially, their families took a toll. It hurt. But for their faith, for their spiritual well-being, for their ultimate good, short-term, which is all this world is, things got more difficult. You see, that's, that's the paradox we have of faith. We believe that the more faithful we are, the better things get. We believe the more faithful we are, the more we'll understand. We believe that the more faithful we are, that that equates to... Immediate gratification. But that's not it. What our faith does instead is our faith allows us to be okay regardless of our circumstances. Our faith allows us to, whether we are with or without, still be okay. Come on with me to Philippians chapter 4. Probably one of the most misused verses in all of Scripture. You hear this quoted everywhere. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that encompasses everything from hitting a baseball 450 feet to dunking over three people to, you know, running a kickoff back for a touchdown, right? That's what Philippians 4.13 means, right? That's what people painted on their faces and shoes and stuff and quote, right? It's terribly misused. Let's read the context before that. What's Paul say here is that I learned in all things. I learned to live without, I learned to live in excess. Because what I learned is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says that our status and our station in life is learned behavior. He says it takes as much to learn to be faithful in excess as it does to learn to be faithful without. How many of us foolishly think from time to time, if I just made a little more money, then life would be easier. If I just were a little more successful, if we had just a bigger house or another car, we think in terms of that's what joy is going to come from. That's what's going to make us happy. That's what's going to make us comfortable. It's all of those types of things that we push toward. But friends, Paul said it took learning for him to be in excess, and it took learning for him to be poor. That when he was without, and and remember, the Apostle Paul swang both ends of the pendulum, right? He was uber-wealthy when he was off persecuting Christians, and he was desolate when he was starting churches. So he was at both ends of this pendulum. And he said both of them are... Learned behavior. You know what learned behavior is spiritually? Faith. It's faith to trust in God that it will be okay no matter what. And if I have to be homeless for the rest of my life, but I get into heaven, it's worth it. If I have to give up every possession I have on this earth, but I still get into heaven, that's okay. That's what faith is. Faith is not... I belong to God as long as my return's okay. I belong to God as long as I'm comfortable. I belong to God as long as I'm happy. That's that's not how faith works. Faith says, I belong to God regardless of my circumstances. And the closer we draw to God, the more we realize that those circumstances don't matter. That if we're in excess, we can do things for God in excess. If we are without, then God will provide when we are without. But either way, our joy, our disposition is 100% in our control at all times. That's what we choose. So that peace that surpasses all understanding, we shouldn't have peace if we're going through difficult times. But scripturally, our faith says you have peace because God wins in the end, and this is temporary even if it's the rest of your life. Habakkuk sees some awful stuff. So back to our quote, that we cannot, we absolutely cannot refuse to face the brutal facts of our circumstances. And here's the the brutal facts. Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. And there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become pervert. That sound familiar? Could we quote this today? When we look at the United States, when we look at our nation. Now, before anybody starts down the path that we are God's second Israel or something, that's not what this is referring to. The United States was never the chosen nation of God. We have been blessed, absolutely. But just like any other nation, we will rise and we will fall. But when we read these scriptures, whether it be from Habakkuk or any of the other minor prophets that talk about what happens to a nation before they fall, many of these accusations can be labeled right against the country that we live in many of them can be labeled right against the places in which we live and where we work and how far they've gotten away from any semblance of morality. But does that mean that God's not there? Does that mean that God's not paying attention? Does that mean that God's not watching? Does that mean that we should get up on our stools here and scream at God like Habakkuk did and say, God, how long? How long? How long are you going to let this happen? How many more days, God? The interesting thing that I always think about here is that Habakkuk is making these accusations toward God as if God doesn't already know about him. Ever think about that? That when we start fussing at God, and and, and that's what I'm going to say Habakkuk's really doing. It's not necessarily a prayer here. Habakkuk's fussing. And some of us have been there in our prayer life, present company, absolutely included, right? Where God, you just don't understand how bad this is. And we fuss at God, right? Have we ever been inclined to do the same thing? That God, you just don't know how bad this is. You don't know how hard my life is right now. Or what I've been through. Or how much this hurts. You just don't know. And if I could tell you and you know, then you'll do something about it. But Habakkuk here is telling God how bad bad God's own people are. You don't don't think he's watching his own people? You don't think, as Jesus said, that he knows every hair on our head? He knows every piece of grass in the field? God knows. God knows exactly what's going on. That should be some of the things that keep some of us up at night, right? Right? Because we may hide our problems from the rest of the world, but God knows exactly what you're doing. So we may, you know, paint ourselves up and dress up and look, you know, like the perfect all-American Christian family. But at home, if it's a disaster, God knows that, right? There are no secrets from God. God knows exactly what goes on in the depths of our heart and what our intents are. So here's the last point I want us to understand God's response in verse 5. He says, Look out among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Tonight, we're going to focus more of our attention on God's mysterious ways. But I want to leave you this morning with the idea that no matter how bad in our faith paradox that that we get shook, that we don't understand, that we think God's asleep at the wheel, I want us to understand God's working especially when we don't see it. That, That we're over here playing checkers and God's playing chess. That God is moving pieces around the board and God is putting things in place through His providential care, to take care of all of these things. But what happens is, we get our eyes so focused on us, and on what our view and our perspective is, that our faith lamp isn't turned up enough to see what God's doing. That we don't have enough light around to see, wait a minute, God's doing some stuff over here. And God's moving some things around. I think about the pandemic right? All of us had to on the fly start trying to figure some things out. And many churches couldn't meet for a while because of, you know, mandates and all this other stuff. But you know one of the incredible things that have come out of this? How many churches have these cameras and are broadcasting online? So I've got somewhere close to a thousand friends on Facebook. And that cross-section of friends are people that I went to high school with, people I went to college with, people I've worked with, and people that will never walk in the back door of that church building. There are people that I went to school with and I've worked with that live down the street from this church building that are never walking in here. But, you know there's analytics on Facebook, and they've watched a lot of sermons that I've posted online. You would be surprised... And how many people would not come to a gospel meeting but would watch some of it online as they're curious? Because from a distance, they can see the gospel. From a distance, without anybody asking them, without them reacting, without them wondering about if they're dressed right or they look right or or if somebody's going to say something to them or somebody's going to recognize them or all the bad things they've done come to light. There are people that are terrified to walk in a church building That will listen to the gospel from Facebook. That will listen to it from YouTube. So while things were difficult for many of us, and were hard on congregations that are still hard on congregations, what we may see the fruit of this is, is a more plethora of congregations all over the world pushing out content. that people all over the world that would have never heard the gospel before now have a chance to hear it at arm's length. That there are people that are now subscribed to these podcasts, to these Facebook channels, to these YouTube channels, that are watching repeatedly over and over and are getting a taste of the gospel. I don't know where that's gonna lead, But I do know it's an incredible thing that came out of a very terrible circumstance. And I do know that it's never a bad thing when somebody sees and hears the gospel. It's never a bad thing. God has mysterious ways and God is not working on our timetable. So back to our unrealistic results. Like, God, we should just wrap this up in a week. This whole problem, knock it out in a week. Let's get back to normal. They were in captivity for 70 years. 70 years from the first captives were taken out of Israel before the first group came back to start rebuilding. 70 years. That's a lifetime for some people, right? God is working on a different timetable and a different schedule than we are. There were 400 years of biblical silence from when God told, God through the prophet Malachi told the people they were better off locking the doors of the temple than continuing to offer profane worship. 400 years before Jesus showed up. Before he began to turn all of their views back right side up. But why did Jesus come when he came? That scripture is when the Fullness of time came. When it was right, God sent his son. That God is moving in ways that we're not going to understand. And it's not for us to understand, quite frankly. There are things that we can control and we can do. And then there's all this other stuff that God's doing. But what our faith does is our faith doesn't as much help us understand it as it does to trust it. You know, I think about... All these guys that are in Hebrews chapter 11, these heroes of faith. And I always key in on Abraham because Abraham's the one that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, he waited all of his life to have this son. And as they're climbing up the mountain, he knows that he's going to have to kill his son, the son of promise. And the whole time he's thinking, well, God will provide a way. That's what he tells his son, that's what he's thinking. Hebrews chapter 11 tells, gives us a little extra insight. It says that Abraham supposed that God would even raise him from the dead. You know what's astounding about that? Read through those first 25 chapters of Genesis. Nobody had even talked about raising anything from the dead. There was never a mention of it. There was nobody that even thought it was possible. And yet, Abraham reckoned like, God will just figure this out. Friends, that's what faith is. When I don't understand, I trust that God can do it anyway. That's, that's what real faith is. Real faith is not, I understand the math, and I can figure all this out, and oh, God's just got to do this, 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 and this, and it'll all work out. No, real faith is, I got no idea how God's going to do it, but I know He will. I have no idea the mechanics behind this, but I know He will. Because he already promised and he said it was done. That's what our faith is. So the paradox is that the cro- closer I, gl- I grow to God, the closer I grow to God, the less that I have to understand. We think the closer we grow to God, the more we'll understand. But that's not really it, it's the more we're going to trust that God, you're going to do this. This is your stuff. I'm going to stay over here in my own little box and I'm going to do what I do and what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to leave all these bigger things up to you because my job's to do what you told me to do. And if we'll do that, then we'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding because we'll realize I don't have to do anything about this. God is. What I have to do is what God's instructed me to do. What I have to do is to help the helpless. What I have to do is to give calm to the hurting. What I have to do is to be selfless. And God will take care of the macro stuff. So that leaves me with the last question. Where are you today? Where are you in your relationship with God this morning? Do you have enough faith to trust that no matter what happens here in our temporary circumstances, that you're going to win in the end that you belong to God the process is simple and it is a process it begins with learning about God just get to know who God is the more you learn about him the more you're going to trust Him. that trust forms into love a deep abiding love and it's a love because God first loved us we love him that love gives us the confidence to turn away from the world the cares of the world to embrace Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and to be buried with him in those waters of baptism, washing all of our sins away, rising to take hold of newness of life, rising to be selfless. It's not about me anymore. I belong to somebody else. And my life is in service to the King. But these aren't steps. This is a corkscrew. We go around and we go around and we go around, and the more times we go around, the closer and closer and closer we get to God. We'll never stop learning. We'll never stop trusting. We'll never stop loving. We'll never stop turning away from this world and embracing Jesus even tighter and closer. And we'll never stop putting to death the sin in our body and separating ourselves from sin. And we'll never be selfless enough. So we'll go around another revolution. So this morning, if you haven't even started this process, you don't know God, you haven't committed to God, you haven't put away the sin in your life, All things are ready for you to start that path. But maybe as we've talked about these things, and we've talked about trying to find calm in the chaos of your life, you realize you're still in the storm, and you haven't sought the protection. Now's the time for you if you've sinned in a public manner. It's an expedient time for you to repent in a public way, or if you just need encouragement, you just need instruction, you just need help. Wherever you are, find your calm this morning as we stand and as we sing.